Welcome to Pathway to Faith Podcast, the media ministry of Harvest Church International Outreach, where we elevate and nurture families through the Word of God. We are so glad that you are here and believe that God will change your life through today's message. Let's listen. So for the sake of those who need to get hooked up where we are, let's go quickly to 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, won't be any shouting today. If you haven't gotten it in already, it's probably not going to happen. Unless you're just really excited over the word of God. So I want to minister again on the five open doors. And I shared on that particular Wednesday, I said, if you are suffering defeat, And and I want to address that this morning. If you're facing some form of defeat this morning, some form of major challenge in your family, in your marriage, in your finances, with your son, with your daughter, with your business, I believe the continuation of this teaching will show you how to get victory. Show you how to get victory. The reason I'm adamant about teaching this this morning and not belaboring is that I was disturbed to discover and I asked God that one of the major killers of our young folks is suicide. And I thought to myself, God, how can they be up so uptight not having lived long enough to be uptight. And what could be so depressing that would make them entertain the thought of taking their lives? And what is going on in our society at large that so many people are depressed? Christians, what is, what is going on in the spirit world, the invisible world that is so agitating to the physical world that people are so depressed? And why are men contemplating leaving their wives for no real reason. And wives contemplating leaving their husbands, and if you talk with them, and I have a few, they have no real reason other than they just don't want it anymore. And what has happened in our society that it is so easy to quit. Are you, are you all listening to me? Are, are you in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10? And here we go. Verse number, number four. Are there any Christians watching us on our e-church uh, video department, help me. 
Is, is there anybody watching us around the world on the, on the e-church who are Christians? Give me some kind of signal. Are, are there some Christians watching? They, they are. There are some Christians. Is, is our partners watching us on streaming? And they're Christians? Is there any Christians here today? Let me see your hand if, if you're a believer, you're a Christian. Well, as a Christian, don't be surprised to discover that you have an enemy. Now, this is going to really mess with your religion. But some of you were having a better time at life before you got saved. And for some of you, it seemed as though the day you gave your life, really gave your life to Jesus, all hell broke out. Before you got saved, you never had a problem getting money, even if you had to steal it. Even if you had to play bingo or pay the lottery to get it. Even if you had to borrow from somebody knowing you weren't going to pay back. But as soon as you gave your life to Jesus, all of a sudden you discovered you were in a fight. Before you gave your life to Jesus, you could do wrong and didn't feel nothing about it. Collide. And tell another one to cover it. Live any old kind of way and go home and eat a steak. But something happened when you gave your life to Jesus. All of a sudden, sin became a challenge. You didn't feel good when you slipped and fell. The things that you'd done wrong, you wanted to go fix it. The stuff that you used to do and felt good about it, now you cry. The stuff that didn't used to bother you, now it gets your attention. The things that you used to be able to just throw off, now it tries to stick to you like glue. And it seems as though since you've given your life to Jesus, Satan is always bringing up your past. Oh, Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Because as a Christian, Satan is your enemy. A brother asked me a few years ago, because I had a close friend who's transitioned now, but we grew up together. He was older. He had a lot to do with me going to college and finishing. And I loved him, and he loved me. And he was like a big brother in the neighborhood I grew in. But when he went to college, he, he got... Uh, he got hooked up with Islam and became a Muslim. And, and he became one of the leaders in the organization. As a matter of fact, when Minister Farrakhan would minister different places around the country, uh, sometimes he would be on the platform or somewhere close to him because he was a real disciple of, of, of Islam. Are, are, are you all with me? And so we were dialoguing one day and, and the question came up, why is it that it seems that, that they are more effective? Don't get offended at this. 
But why is it that it appears that they have been more effective in winning over particularly African-American males as opposed to the church? And why is it it seems as though whenever a brother gives his life to Muhammad that he doesn't mind, you know, looking like he belonged to Muhammad? Are you listening to me? Have no problem being dedicated uh, to, to the faith of Islam. You know, whether it means standing on a corner selling a paper or bean pies that he doesn't even eat. But, but, but there's something about him that, that he wants you to know that he's a Muslim. Uh, typically, they don't have to tell you that they're one. There's usually something about them that signifies that that brother is a Muslim. And I'm not just talking about just the bow tie. But you can be around brothers who say that they love Jesus and never know by looking at their lives that they love God. You can't typically tell by the way they dress. Say amen. You can't typically know a Christian, in some cases, sad to say, by the way they talk or by the way they act. But what is it about a Muslim that wants you to know that they're a Muslim? And Christians sometimes are somewhat shy away from being identified as being in the faith of Christ. And he and I were dialoguing about this. And I shared with him that what I believe which is Jesus Christ. He is the son of the living God. And I said to him, my friend, that I believe the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. You get in trouble with every religion over that because they believe there are other ways to get to the supreme being. And, and I believe there's only one way to get to God the Father, and that's through the supreme being, Jesus. Are, are you all listening to me? So we came to a place, why was there such a struggle? And I said to him, I said, because what I believe creates an enemy. What you believe, the enemy agrees. Because the fight of the enemy is not against Muhammad. It's not against Buddha. The fight of the enemy is against Christ. And all of those who identify with him. Are you listening to me? So when a brother gives his life to Islam, there's no fight because he doesn't have an enemy. But if he gives his life to Jesus, all hell comes against him because there's only two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And in the kingdom of darkness, there is someone who demands worship 
And in the kingdom of light, there is someone who demands worship. In the kingdom of darkness, there is someone who demands praise. In the kingdom of light, there is someone who demands praise. Can somebody say amen? And so as a Christian, you have an enemy. That's why he fights everything you love. He fights everything that is godly. Marriage is honorable. It was established by who? And Satan hates it. Satan hates marriage because it's a God idea. And I don't care what any country is doing to try to dilute the reality of marriage. Marriage is something that God instituted and marriage is one man and one woman. One woman, one man coming together in God's creation equals marriage. And from that marriage, they are supposed to multiply and cause increase. Not single folk, married folk. Are you all with me? That's why one of the most damaging things that we are experiencing in our generation that is causing more trauma and more heartache in our day and time is divorce. I believe it is the number one culprit that is releasing trauma on the lives of people. And if you've ever been through a divorce, sad to say I got my hand up because I've been through a divorce. It is one of the most heart-rendering, uh, soul-damaging things that you can not only do to yourself, but to your children. Uh, it's almost impossible to fully recover from it unless God intervenes. And a lot of trouble and trauma that we're dealing with in our society today is coming from children who have experienced a divorce from their parents, with their parents. It's getting quiet now. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The devil's after your marriage. The devil's after your children. And if he can't kill them before they're born, if he can't kill them before they're born, then he'll try to kill them once they come out of the womb. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the... Thank you, Holy Ghost. When the thought of divorce enters your mind, that thought was directed at you by Satan. Ain't nobody shouting. When you start entertaining the thought of separation... That thought has come from the pit of hell. 
and Satan is wanting you to embrace the fraud. How does it get you to embrace it? To just, to allow it to stay there. To allow you to meditate on it. To meditate on it long enough to where you start seeing yourself separated from that person that you're in covenant with. Can somebody say amen? For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, there we go, bringing every, every thought, bringing every thought. So, so there's, a, there's a measure of our inability to not stop thoughts from coming. But we do have the ability that if a thought comes that is ungodly, we have the power of God to cast it down. Ooh, Jesus. Now, somebody might say, well, pastor, I had a thought. Was this from God? If you have to ask if it was from God, it probably wasn't. Ooh, Jesus. Is this all right? Casting down arguments and every, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Oh, my. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I've determined not to know anything among you, this is Paul, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, quickly, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Somebody said, I just got the 1 Corinthians chapter, but now go to Romans. Go to Romans 1 and look at verse 16, because I'm trying to get somewhere. Look at verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first, for the Jew first, for the Jew first. God bless the Jewish people of Israel, and we speak peace over that land. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile or to the Greek. Can somebody say amen? Now, I've just given you a foundation for where I want to go because I shared with you that open doors, say open doors, and I shared with you five open doors, but I only ministered on two. You all remember the, the first two? The first one was disobedience. That disobedience will open the door for demonic activity into your life. Disobedience will open the door for demonic activity into your life. And then number two I shared with you in a former teaching is that unforgiveness will open the door for demonic activity into your life. You cannot afford not to forgive I don't care what anybody's ever done to you. You have to forgive. If you don't forgive, it will warp your life. 
Are you listening to me? If you don't forgive, it will pollute your ability to think straight. Unforgiveness will block the blessings of God from flowing into your life. Now, unforgiveness, I've come to discover the greatest challenge in forgiving is not always forgiving a stranger. But sometimes it appears or see or seems the hardest people to forgive are the people who are the closest to you. Or let me put it another way. Sometimes it seems the hardest people to forgive is the people you love. And sometimes it appears that it is easier to forgive a stranger that it is somebody that has really been in your life. And so we dealt extensively on unforgiveness. Today, I want to minister just for a few moments on the third open door of which I call emotional trauma. Emotional trauma. And I see some of our social workers and people who deal with uh, social issues in our society nodding their heads because typically the church doesn't deal with this. And consequently, we have a lot of, and I want to use the right word, because if I use the wrong word, it'll afford you an opportunity to turn me off, and I don't want you to turn me off. But the church, by and large, we do a very poor job of dealing with our parishioners when they have experienced emotional trauma. And sometimes we try to ignore it. And in our ignoring it, we think that it will, it will go away. Um, I, I, did they get my nuggets for Today, they do have them. Would you put up nugget number one? Oh, here we go. Ready? Read. Before they go to nugget two, I want, I want you to focus on this because if you don't get this straight, you're going to do horrible in marriage. And you can wind up in a divorce, not that the person you married is bad and not that you're bad, but you have issues that haven't been dealt with. And the church just says, pray and forget it. Nugget number two. And some of you need to know that because in your growing up, things happen to you. And some things happen that you've never told anybody. And even though you've tried to ignore it and you haven't told anybody, it is affecting your life today, but you don't know it. You don't really know why you act the way you act. You don't really know why you think the way you think. 
You don't really know why do you respond this way in, every, in these given situations. Why do you respond that way? And afterwards, you're sorry. And then it happens again, and you respond the same way. Nugget number three, please. Is the fragmentation of family. And the fragmentation of family is increasing every day. Satan hates the family. Hayden hates godly families. And he will work overtime to make sure that your family does not become spiritual and turned on and excited about the things of God. Can somebody say amen? Nugget number four. Read it again. Read it again. It's not a day for that, but I want to go there. Whatever its source. When trauma occurs in a person's life, come on, talk to me. Healing is necessary. It's a must. There are a lot of sick folk in our society. There's a segment of our society who have experienced trauma for hundreds of years and have never been healed. And because they've never been healed and healing has never been addressed, many of them fight every day of hating themselves and hating anybody who looks like them because they've never been healed. And they try to be and look like everybody else except themselves because they've never been healed. Whatever its source, when trauma occurs in a person's life, healing is necessary. Nugget number five. If truth be told, most of us, if not all of us, have experienced some form of trauma in our upbringing that has never that has never been healed and it's hard to be a parent when you're sick 
difficult to help your children when you need help. It's difficult to help your children in an area that you haven't been ministered to yet yourself. It's hard to help your children hurting in an area that you're still hurting. And you know a lesson that I taught years ago, hurting people. And the church by and large takes an attitude that if you ignore something long enough that it will go away. Is this all right? Read it again. Nugget number six, last one today. Can I be a little vulnerable to you today? I did not realize how I had been affected or infected by my childhood. I didn't know, I thought that you could grow out of it. And I didn't know how deep the traumatic emotional hurt was of the absence of my biological physical mother. And I learned how to function without her, without her love, without her concern, without her presence. I learned how to function in dysfunction. And I did not know how dysfunctional I was until I married her. Because it wasn't until I married somebody who grew up feeling loved that shined a spotlight on my discrepancies of how I was deformed growing up in an environment not feeling loved. Don't get mad at me. I can't help you if if I don't tell you the truth. And so out of my desire to be loved from my mother, it opened a door for the enemy to play games with me about the opposite sex. You see, before you judge that little girl and call her fast, you need to find out what happened to her. And so at a young age, I was exposed to things that a child my age should have never been exposed to. And it took almost half of my life to get victory because of that open door of rejection. Is this helping anybody at all? 
God so designed the family that there is an important role for a mother to play in the life of a child. And there's an important role for a father to play in the life of the child. And there have been some children, we have grown folks here who were adopted, but every adopted child has to deal with this trauma. Every child who comes from a divorced family has to deal with this trauma, this emotional trauma, meaning that you as the mother and the father, you're old enough, you're grown enough to make the decision that you're going to divorce one another, but you release an open door of emotional trauma on your children. That they are too young yet to know how they've been impacted, only to grow up and act out certain ways and not know why they act the way they act where that seed was started the day you separated from her mother or her father. That's why typically parents who can't stay together produce children who can't stay together. Come on, say, man, I'm speaking truth. Is, is this helping anybody yet? Nugget number one says that emotional trauma can cause lasting damage to the psychological, spiritual, and emotional development of a person. And here I was, 41 years old before I discovered that there were certain things about my development that didn't develop correctly. Can I help you? Any area of your life where you did not experience love becomes warped. And you've never met a man who didn't have a father, didn't know his father, was rejected by his father, who didn't have a strong dose of rejection when he grows up to be a man or a girl. And I notice that I talk a lot about fathers, but it's the same with a mother. And there was a time you didn't have to talk about mothers leaving their children, but you do today. But for some reason, maybe you, you social, psychological uh, people can help me, but it's something about divorce that children take it personal. Meaning, am I the reason that daddy left? Am I the reason that mama left? They take it personal. Is it something that I did? And no matter what you say to your child, your child is always looking for daddy to come home. You can get married and your children are still looking for their daddy. Or looking for their mother. And when you don't find the love that you are looking for from your mother, help me Holy Ghost, or your father, you look for it in somebody else. And I don't want to bust anybody's bubble. Y'all can flow any way y'all want to flow, but your husband is not your daddy. 
Come on, daddy. No, no, I mean, I don't, I'm not messing with the way y'all operate, but your husband's not your daddy. And, and sisters, I don't want to mess up your marriage as well, but, but you can't be his mama either. And it's difficult to raise somebody who's already been raised. Even if they've been raised wrong. One interesting point, and this be all we'll make today perhaps. One interesting point about trauma is that what may may deeply hurt uh, one person's spirit uh, may not traumatize another person in the same way. In other words, I read a book a few years ago uh, from an individual who wrote the book, and most of you read the book or certainly know the author, but he grew up in a home with an alcoholic father. True story. And uh, we had a number of our kids read the book years ago in Harvest Christian Schools. But one son, uh, he grew up out of the home And he became an alcoholic like his father and uh, got in a lot of trouble. And they asked him, the only reason they asked him is because he turned out so different than his brother. True story. And so they asked him, why are you alcoholic? Why are you always getting in trouble? Why are you doing it? He said, I'm an alcoholic. I'm always getting in trouble because that's what my daddy did. He was traumatized by his father. And though he hated what his father was doing, he turned out to do some of the same things. Another brother in the same house turned out to be a medical doctor. One of the top neurosurgeons that the United States of America have ever produced, which was a black man. And they asked him, how did you turn out to be a neurosurgeon? And he said, my daddy was an alcoholic. And caused a lot of trauma in our home. And I made up my mind that I was going to make something out of my life. And I was going to do something with my life to make life better for my mama. So two children in the same home experiencing the same emotional trauma but being affected two different ways. Which leads me to the point is that you don't always have control over what happens to you. But you do have control or always over how you respond to it. Are you listening to me? It was growing up like I grew up that made me the man that I am today with the determination that I have today to make it, to always quit, to never fight. I mean, to quit fighting if I get knocked down, to get up. Why? Because when I think about where I came from, I never want to go back. So I'm always fighting to go forward. Now, the emotional trauma side trauma side of my upbringing is I have a difficult time even today at looking like 42 at 70. It's that I have a difficult time sometimes, and my wife will attest to this, enjoying what God has done for me. 
because I'm always fighting in the back of my mind. Because Satan never stops and he's always coming periodically to say, oh yeah, you're there, but this is how you're going to wind up. Just like your daddy. So I wake up and I get back on the stick. Are you listening to me? And so all I'm saying is that at my age, I'm still working through some emotional trauma that I experienced in my childhood. And you can look at me funny all you want to. So are you. That's why you have to hold on to what you got because can't nobody else put up with you. Look at somebody and somehow said, he's not talking to me. Yeah, just the person in my seat. Is this blessing anybody? One of the, I have already mentioned one of the greatest cause of trauma today is the fragmentation of family. Um, that was your nugget number three. Uh, another thing that's causing a lot of trauma in our society today is massive, uh, what I, I called it, massive, lengthy incarceration. I mean, whole neighborhoods have been destroyed on purpose because of massive incarceration. I don't want to stay on this long. But America, what are you going to do now? You have taken for over decades men and women who was selling a nickel bag. Put them in prison two to five years. They got in trouble while they was in prison. Now they're doing 10 to 15. But it all started over a nickel bag that you said was illegal. And you only said it was illegal is because they were selling it in the hood. But now that you can get it in the suburbs or in the mall in the dispensary thing, now that you made it legal, come on now. You done, you done locked a man up over a nickel bag. He lost his job, lost his family, lost his respect, lost everything over a nickel bag, dime bag. Don't mess with me, a $20 bag. An ounce. A half a brick. All I'm just simply saying, it's legal now. Because you can tax it. So what are you going to do now, America, with the bootleggers that you put in prison now that you've changed the law? But here's the thing. If you let them all out today, the emotional trauma 
that you have caused on that person and their family. It will take an act of God to restore what you've destroyed America. Is this helping anybody at all? One of the greatest causes of traumatic or, tra or trauma, emotional trauma, is to be raised by parents who are addicted to drugs. And I've already mentioned, I've already mentioned divorce. And we have so many people who have been victimized by emotional trauma, rape, molestation. getting quiet physical abuse emotional abuse verbal abuse and I'm not saying sisters and brothers that you should endure physical abuse from anybody I'm just simply saying you leaving him don't change nothing but I don't say stay either if you're being physically abused but I am saying there's a reason and more often than not, if a man physically abuses his wife, he was physically abused himself. Because no real man in his right mind will hit his wife. And this is 2023 we're living in now. And no woman should be hitting her husband. Because you got women today whipping their husbands now. Are you listening to me? And even if he doesn't fight you back, you're still fighting him. And I'm saying something is wrong. I mean, you know you can't whip him, but you're fighting him. And part of the reason you're fighting him is because he doesn't fight you back. But I want to deal with the issue. The real issue is there's something going on with you that makes you fight him. And brother, I salute you for staying with a woman who's fighting you. Because I wouldn't. Just like I'm not going to hit you, I'm not going to let you hit me either. Because I may look up one day not paying attention and you just haul off and smack me and I slip and stumble and hit my head on, 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 a, on the TV set or whatever and and. And I'm unconscious. Kids come in the room. Daddy's on the floor. Mama done knocked him out. Mama done knocked daddy out. Mama done knocked daddy out. I know you don't want to laugh, but that's emotional trauma. Or vice versa. The kids come in the room and their mama's on the floor. Causing emotional trauma. Can somebody say Amen. Is this helping anybody? I shared with you with one of the nuggets, whatever its source, when trauma occurs in a person's life, healing must come. And I almost didn't get any further than this because when I started studying this, that no matter what has caused the trauma, that to overcome it, 
healing must come. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking of all the traumatic things that I have experienced, me. And no healing was ever ministered to that area of my soul. Because whenever something emotional traumatic happens in the life of a person, healing has to come, whether through counseling, whatever, but something has to be done. Let me close. You all remember 9-11? You all remember that traumatic day when uh, the people flew the planes into the Twin Towers and the president got on national worldwide television, yes, and said, send all the doctors, all the clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, and social workers, the best we have in the nation, send them to New York. Why? Because the traumatic emotional experience that the city has experienced as a result of that, uh, that event, that there's, there's no way those people are going to be able to gather themselves without some kind of emotional healing. There's no way that the people of New York could experience that kind of traumatic event and not need professional help to find their equilibrium. They just won't be able to do it without professional help because they have been traumatized. To all our military people, and I'm a Vietnam vet myself, my, you know my sons all went in the military. Three of them went to war like I did, and they have this thing called uh, PTSD because they have been exposed to a traumatic event called war. Was slavery traumatic? Was beating people on a whipping post till they died, was that traumatic? Was tying a slave on each arm and then tying the rope to two different horses and splitting that human being in half before everybody on the plantation, would that not cause a traumatic emotional response to the people that are on the plantation? to take a mother's child that she just birthed, or maybe it's a year old or two years old, to take her son or her daughter from her and put her child on an auction block and sell it off for her mother to never to see her son or daughter ever again? Would that not cause an emotional trauma? To enslave people for over 200 years to pick cotton or to do hard labor from sun up to sundown, would that not cause any emotional trauma uh, uh, a response in a human being? And then come out of slavery and go into almost 100 years of Jim Crow? Would that not cause 
an emotional trauma. And then one day, just one day, write a letter and free the slaves. And after over 200 or so years of shell slavery, now they're free. First of all, they don't even know what freedom means. And it was against the law for them to read or study. And so you free them. And they've never had professional counseling. They were never given a class on how to uh, be acclimated or to address, or not address, to assimilate uh, this new status that the government now has released them into. And because whenever you have been emotionally traumatized, healing is necessary. But they've never received it. So in 2023, you act like you're shocked that they kill each other, that they don't like each other, that they will cut each other's throat over a pair of tennis shoes, that they will blow somebody's brains out on 26 and Prospect saying it, that this is my block? Are we surprised that we're seeing so much dysfunction that we don't trust one another? And that my ice is not as cold as another man's ice? Just simply because it's my ice? And why is it that every time you talk about diversity, it's always me coming to you, not you coming to me? Because you only embrace diversity when you stay in charge. It's always me going to your school, not you coming to mine. It's always me going to your church, not you coming to my church. Because diversity is only vogue when you stay in charge. And what kind of trauma has to have happened to a people who would allow it? It's getting quiet, isn't it? Consequently, in church, we have a lot of hurting people. And by and large, the church doesn't address it. We have people getting married, and they're not whole enough for marriage yet. Because marriage, I call it one of the most pressurized institutions that you can become involved in. And buddy, if you got any cracks in your arm at all, marriage will reveal it. I'm telling you, it's something to try to live with somebody else, especially when you're perfect. You're laughing, but it's the truth because in a marriage, you only see the other person's wrong. And the only reason you act up is because they are making you act up. Because you're perfect. And then we, cre- 
entertain the thought of leaving somebody thinking we're going to get somebody better. Help us, Jesus. I close on this point. I think I've said closing two times. I've been reading this forever. As a matter of fact, I never minister without reading uh, Luke 4, 18 and 19 in Ephesians. I never minister without. I've been reading this for years and I never saw it. Minister Barrett, I never saw it. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And I never saw it. All these years. Well, let me put it another way. I saw it, but I didn't see it. Is, is that a better way of putting it? Is that linguistic? Is that grammatically correct the way I said it? Look at Luke chapter 4. I've I never seen it. It was a major part of Jesus' ministry. And in some cases, it's no part of our ministry. It was a major part of Jesus' ministry. And I didn't see it. And because I didn't see it, for the most part in the church, it, it plays no role in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the, what can I say, the program and, and the, uh, the procedure of our 21st century church. Yet with Jesus, it was a major, say major, it was a major part of his ministry. Look at Luke. Chapter 4, verse 18. You there? Then the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus was far more effective with poor folks than he was with people who thought they were elitist. And it's still the same today. Because if you have money, you don't think you need him because you think money addresses everything. To preach the gospel to the poor. Here he goes. He has sent me. Jesus talking about the Father. He has sent me to heal. Come on. He has sent me to heal who? The people who have been emotionally traumatized. He has sent who? The Father. The Father has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That was a major part of Jesus Christ's ministry to heal emotionally traumatized people. And the Lord Jesus said, my ministry does not ignore your hurt. My ministry addresses your hurt and brings healing.
because of a bruise. Or you know what, a, anybody ever had a bruise? A bruise is only a sign of inner bleeding. Anybody know about bruise? A bruise is only an outward manifestation of an inward bleeding. And there are a lot of folk in church who are experiencing inward bleeding. And we haven't been trained to diagnose and discern the outward bruises. Those manifestations are outward bruises of an inward bleeding, of an inward hurting. And just because somebody say that they're okay doesn't mean they're okay. Sometimes people tell you they're okay when they're not okay because they don't really believe you want to know what's going on with them. You use the word, are you okay, like you use hello. People are bruised by sin. People have been bruised by others. God help me to not hurt people. God help me to shut my mouth and stop talking about people when I don't really know their total condition. God help me to shut my mouth from talking about people's symptoms. Because you're not what you did. What you did is a result of where you've been hurt. Are you listening to me? And if you've been violated, it's not your fault. But you are in control. It's the how much and how long Whatever they did is going to affect your life. And I don't want anything of my past to be robbing me of my present and my future of what God wants to do in my life. Is this helping anybody at all? And so I told God the other day that I want you to do with me whatever you need to do because we can all do better and be better. And I refuse to stand up here and fake and be phony before you like I got it all together. And just like the word of God, I trust is working on you, it's working on me too. And I pray to God that you can look at me as your pastor and can see that I'm improving week by week, month by month, year by year, that we're growing together. Are you listening to me? But somebody's got to preach and God chose me. It doesn't mean everything is right. It just means that he's put something in my mouth, not just for you, but for me too.
And so we have to stop judging people and condemning people and hurting people because they've done something wrong. What is making them do that? Have you ever taken the time to find out why that 13-year-old girl is acting like that? Why is she sexually active? And who started it with her? Could have been a no good, no, I won't say no good, could have been a stepfather. Could have been a father. Could have been an old nasty uncle. That girl is just not bad. There's a cause. And we don't like to deal with the cause because that takes time. So we just sit on the sideline and say, she's so-and-so, and he's so-and-so, and there's so-and-so, and that family's so-and-so. But you don't know why that family is dysfunctional. And the church tells us if we sing loud enough, it'll go away. And if you dance long enough, it'll go away. And I'm saying Singing and dancing is good, but that won't minister the kind of healing that you need to overcome your emotional trauma. And emotional trauma, Minister Barrett, opens the door for demonic activity. And I am only exposing these doors so with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can start to close those doors. Why? Because hurting people hurt people. Secure people don't talk about people. And secure people won't give you an audience when you try to talk about people. No, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. I, I was just looking over here a moment ago at, at my son. I call him my son because his daddy said, if something happens to me, would you look after my kids? And I said to him in the hallway, in, the, in Harvest Christian School's hallway, I said to him, if something happens to me, would you make sure you check on my son? That was Mr. Mosey. Are, are you all listening to me? And uh, before he transitioned, he came to me one day, didn't come often. And if you knew Mr. Mosey, you, you know what I'm saying. But one day he pointed me up in the hall. He said, Pastor, he said, we was over somebody's house. And uh, we thought uh, we were going to have, you know, like a backyard, you know, you know how church members do. He said, and they started talking about you. This is Mr. Mosey. He said, and I turned to my wife. I said, we're out of here. He said, he said, we're out. Yeah, I mean, he's straight, straight there. He, he said, we're out of here. He, he didn't care about the family being offended or nothing. He said, we're out of here. And I thought to myself, if that man would have left, we would have never had the connection. My wife would have never met his wife at the time. She never would have met her first. And I really don't know if my son would still be in this church. which would have robbed me of the privilege of dedicating all of his children to God in this platform, in this edifice. 
are you all, are you, you all listening to me? All I'm simply saying is that what you do, it affects other people. And then I notice that the children that have never been disconnected from me, when they grow up, they're different than the kids who were disconnected from me. Because the kids who were never disconnected are always have an inroad to speak into their life. I can call them. And say, hey, straighten up. Why? Because they've never been disconnected. They not only have their mother and their father's voice, but they have mine too as their pastor. Are you all listening to me? I'm a part of the village. And the children has turned out different. May Harvest Church somehow with the help of the Holy Spirit. May we reposition ourselves and be willing to change the paradigm that we will start ministering what Jesus ministered. And Jesus ministered to the brokenhearted. A family that's gone through divorce, they need ministry. A couple who just had a baby, they need ministry. They don't need your criticism because their baby's crying. You say, well, they act like they don't know what to do. They don't. But they don't need your criticism in the process. And if you're not going to help her or help them, why don't you be quiet? And to those of you who need help, open your heart and let the village of Harvest Church help you with your children. And then don't get mad at us when we correct them because you should be correcting them too. Are you listening to me? And let's begin the healing process. of whatever emotional trauma that you have ever experienced. Brother, don't leave your family. Sister, don't leave your family. Mom, dad, don't leave your family. Leaving is not your answer. ATLP is the answer. You need help. And I believe because I've ministered this message today, help is on the way. Thank you, Lord, for the healing process in me. Come on, lift your hands to God. Say, Father, for the emotional trauma that I have experienced, and have never told anyone about. Only you know. Jesus, I open myself up. I make myself vulnerable to you. That you would pour in the oil and the wine 
release healing in every area of my life that I was scarred, traumatized, make me whole so that I can act better make me whole so that I can think better make me whole so that I can do better with my family with my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus touch me now Heal me now. Everywhere I hurt. In Jesus' name. Amen. I pray this message has been a blessing to you today. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? According to Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus Christ, his suffering opened the door to my satisfaction. According to Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, Jesus, he took our hell that we might have heaven on the earth. Come now, Lord Jesus. And release us from every burden. I declare today, come on, say this with me. I will no longer be a victim to emotional trauma of my past. In Jesus Christ's name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together and thank the Lord. According to Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus that you would be saved. You're watching around the world. Some of you perhaps are having an emotional time, a tear-jerking time, but in the midst of it all, I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ is touching you. And for the person who has been dealing with an overdose of guilt and shame, because of something that happened to you as a child. I want you to know today that it's not your fault as to what happened because we don't always have control over what happens to us. But we are always in control over how we respond 
to what happened to us. Thank you. There's someone at the altar and perhaps that's a sign God is telling me that there's some folks who need to come. If you're here this morning and the word has really blessed you and you can really sense the healing power of God manifesting in your life, would you please come? I just want to seal it with you. I just want to touch you as a sign of agreement that what God is and I'm, I lost my cameraman now. Yeah, somebody needed to know this morning that you are not what happened to you. And sometimes things can happen that we're not comfortable to share with anybody. But, but, but God knows. And you've been labeled certain things. And you got the label. You are not the label. You got the label because of the outward manifestation from the thing that happened to you on the inside. Maybe somebody touched you. Somebody violated you. And it's taken all your life to try to get victory over it. Yeah. And to our, to our e-church, our partners who are watching, I know you can't come to the physical altar, but you can get up out of your bed. You can get up out of the chair. And you can make a step forward as a sign to God that, that uh, you're stepping out of that emotional trauma that's been affecting your life. And you can get victory over it. Some people become sexually active and, and they're only sexually active because of the things that uh, transpired in their childhood. And uh, good to see you, baby girl. People have said things about you. People have misjudged you because of some of the things that you have done. Some things that you can't even explain yourself. Why, why you acted the way you acted and said what you said and did what you did. Not realizing that there were some childhood trauma experiences that is still manifesting itself in your adult life. But today, we're doing the ministry of Jesus. Jesus said that he ministered to the brokenhearted. And he's ministering right now in the Holy Ghost. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously and make this ministry outreach possible. Click the link in the description to give now or visit hcio.org slash podcast for more information. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Even tag us on social media at Harvest Church KC. Thanks again for listening.